Hi, my name is Jade Siri Ramos, and I'm a producer on Human Powered. It's a podcast from Wisconsin Humanities, and our team is hard at work on season two. This season, we're focusing on the humanities within carceral systems. And today, you get a very special first listen to one of our episodes from this season. This episode is all about an English 100 class and the power of storytelling. Turn up your headphones and let's listen. I got this, I guess. Hey, everybody. All right, uh, my story is titled A Day in My Life in Apartment 4E. This is Mark Espanol sharing a story he wrote in prison. By the power of Grayskull, he was tuned into the dilapidated 13-inch television set that sat in the room that he shared with his siblings. It was for a college English class through a University of Wisconsin-Madison program called Odyssey Beyond Bars. Mark was one of 15 people in class that day, of about 700 people incarcerated in that prison, with 41,000 people in prisons and jails in the state of Wisconsin and about 1.8 million in the country. Fully equipped with his He-Man and Battle Cat action figures in hand, he sat there lost in the fantasies of his favorite show that for half hour a day took him out of the realities of Apartment 4E. To give more context, the United States has 5% of the world's population, but is responsible for 20% of the world's prison population. So this season on Human Powered, we're looking at incarceration through a humanities lens. How do humans express themselves creatively and find meaning, even in dehumanizing circumstances? And why does this matter for all of us? I'm Adam Carr, public historian and co-host of Human Powered, along with Dasha Kelly Hamilton, This episode, we're spending time with the Odyssey Beyond Bars English program. It's one example of how the humanities can help people reimagine the story of their lives. Some of us, like myself, had no writing experience. I mean, I've taken some classes and I was working towards my associate's degree, but as far as like engaging into creative writing, it opened my eyes to the purpose, the bigger meaning of why I went through this. You know, being in prison does a lot to you, man. Your faith goes up, your faith goes down, you believe in a higher power, you you know, you pray to God, you stop praying to God, you get mad, you get sad. So it's um it's an experience. This is Human Powered from Wisconsin Humanities and Field Noise Soundworks. Dasha Kelly, how are you today? I am well. I will say I am well. So, Dasha, in your remarkable life, you've been the Milwaukee Poet Laureate, the Wisconsin Poet Laureate. You've led thousands of people through life-altering writing workshops inside prisons and outside. And I can't think about a better person to talk about this class with. You've taught Odyssey Beyond Bars classes before. Can you tell me about that experience? I have, and I would love to. And thank you for all of that. The opportunity I had with Odyssey Behind Bars came after years of already going into these carceral spaces, teaching, writing workshops, fiction, poetry. And by that time, I've also done storytelling um, workshops and classes outside. So it's bringing together two different tracts of my work. And at the time of this intersection of these two journeys, I bring into this classroom space a lot of experience in making this classroom a sanctuary. And you have folks in the space that are really excited about finding their voice as storytellers and writers. 
And by the time I'm there, they're already invested, but you can see they're still uncertain about where their story falls or if they're doing it just right. So that experience for me personally was rich because it it, it stacked many years of experience and many experiences. I really felt excited to um, to be in a space of folks who aren't always sure that they, air quotes, get to call themselves writers or storytellers. I just love being able to um, stir that alchemy in a room, especially in a room that you don't expect to have magic in it. There's a couple words that you use there that drew my attention. Sanctuary and alchemy. Well, let's start with sanctuary. Can you talk about what sanctuary means to you, creating a sanctuary in the classroom, um, especially in an institutional environment that might feel the furthest thing from a sanctuary? I think the biggest piece, Adam, is I really go into these spaces from the beginning knowing what I bring into the room. I bring an energy into the room. My interest is not about teaching people how to write. Through teaching people how to write, my ultimate goal happens, which is bringing people together to have them say things that they didn't know that they could say out loud. So it sounds like you're uh, showing alchemists that they know alchemy, but they didn't know to begin with. Exactly. Exactly. We just heard Mark talk about the ups and the downs, holding on to faith, feeling it slip away, and how creative writing for him was a, a conduit into purpose into meaning. And I can imagine in the circumstances that he was writing in, you know, being reduced to a statistic or a number while he's institutionalized and all he has to do to, to fight to keep his own humanity. Can you talk about that feeling of, of what it means to invite someone in such a challenging situation to start writing? To do something that, as you point out, you're trying to get people not to always write the deadly serious prison origin story, but rather just whatever flows out from them. I would say one of the the strongest tools is inviting them to observe. Mm. Observe is a first step. And what that gives you the insight on are the small details the small nuances, the small um, visuals that are part of that every day. So there's a workshop I have, for example, that goes through the senses. And in going through the senses, you write down, okay, class, just make a list of the sounds that you heard from the time you woke up until you left for school. And then what are the things that you saw? Inviting people to observe in situations that are difficult, in situations that are dire, in situations that are oppressive, especially ones that can consume so much of your capacity of thought. You're thinking all the time about the situation you're in, your health. You are physically responding to this situation that you're in. And inviting a writer to write about, air quotes, anything else is asking a lot. Mm -hmm. And that same writer can feel tired of mm -hmm. feeling like they're having to write the same frustrating story. So observe. And then they find that they are able and they do have the capacity to write about the first kiss or the letter that they missed. And it gives them a space to see their own life experience as being a bit more rich 
than just speaking a circumstance. And that's for someone who's um, incarcerated. That's for someone who's in an abusive relationship. That's for someone who's stuck in a job. That's for someone who wants to lose that last 10 pounds. We all have these states that we can be in that feel literally stuck. We're going to be there for longer than we want to. And just feeling stuck can be psychically overwhelming. Does that make sense? It does. And making observations internally and sharing them to another person feel like two different things to me. And I could imagine in situations that requires some vulnerability, right? That requires, and I can especially imagine in Odyssey Beyond Bars classes, um, not wanting to maybe look weak or look soft among your, your classmates. By the time we get to the sharing, my experience has been they've already committed to the story. Mm. You made this thing and you're excited that you made it. And there's actually an eagerness to share and different from eagerness to share and show off, but just eagerness to share. Because look, y'all, <laughs> I did it. You know, in this episode, we're going to hear a lot more about Odyssey Beyond Bars, including the folks who were the progenitors of the program. Um, and including Peter Moreno, and you spoke with him, Dasha, you interviewed him. What was that like, and what did you learn from that conversation? I think what struck me most is learning that he started as an attorney. So to hear his origin story and also this genuine human draw that pulled him into this work was inspiring to me, affirming for me in a lot of ways, and just a reminder that we all can just be tuned in to the things that make us go. And I'm really glad that the universe had him go in this direction. I appreciated him being transparent and vulnerable for not just for our audiences, but I think for all the people that interact with him and the work that he does. And then just how the universe put his ambition and OBB together and it found a home. And now we're at a place where it's going to have impact across the state and possibly across the country. So I love those types of stories. I love those types of stories, starting from a gut feeling that you just keep chasing. Well, this is that story, that kind of story and that exact story. So we will see you again or hear from you again at the end of the episode. We're going to start. I'm going to ask you to tell me three stories. Yep. This work. Yep. First story is a story of you. Mm-hmm. Second story is a story of Wisconsin prison. Get up on your soapbox, honey. Okay. Uh, and a third story is a story of Odyssey. I started working inside the prisons with folks living there about 15 years ago when I was in law school. This is Peter Moreno, director of the Odyssey Beyond Bars program. I wound up in an innocence project clinic at the University of Washington. So folks in prison would write to these innocence projects and say, hey, uh, I'm in prison for something I didn't do. Can you help me? Along the way, you start to learn a lot about the person and how they wound up in prison. And at the end of the year, we finally visit the client. We were expecting that day to have our meeting in an attorney visiting room. For whatever reason, they didn't have this room available. So we were put in the general visitation area for the prison where all the family and friend visits happen. 
And we came in, my clinic partner and I were sitting at a table, big round table, waiting for our client to be escorted down by the guards. And then I noticed in the corner, they had a Fisher-Price kitchen with the little plastic pots and pans and the plastic food and stuff. At the time, I had a new daughter at home who was about 18 months old. And it was the same Fisher-Price kitchen that I had in my living room at home. And all of a sudden, it just hit me that these were human beings in here. These were dads in here like me. And I walked out of the prison with my clinic partner, and I just wept. You know, at, at that point, I thought, this is probably some work I need to be doing. This is coming from something that you said, and something that is commonly said, the question of, huh, how does someone, quote, wind up in prison? Yeah. So from an academic space, from the armchair social psychologist, we could all talk about family structure and poverty yeah. and resources. And intellectually, we know these things are real and make sense and describe all the reasons, many of the reasons why many of those humans, as you say, are being warehoused in said buildings. And still, prison isn't a place. And still, folks who are incarcerated are invisible if thought of. Mm -hmm coupled with a blanket, nondescript, it's not even a negative thought, it's just a disregard, it's not yeah. even a disregard, what is it? Indifference. Mm -hmm. Boy, yeah. We're all aware prisons are there, and we see these shows on TV about how horrible prisons are and the violence that goes on there, and it's almost like a kind of pornography to us. I mean, that's like, you see this kind of horror and it's like the less I think about it the better off I am because it is just horrible to think about but the stories that are coming out of prisons sometimes I mean the personal stories the voices I should say when people are given a platform to express themselves and are able to convey their personal story from inside prison in a way that uh, other people can hear and understand, boy, that humanizes things in a hurry, right? Most definitely. I feel us curving into Odyssey and yep, the prison yep, conversation. Yep. Nearing the, the end of my time in Seattle, I run into someone I sort of knew from University of Washington. And they wave me over and they say, hey, Peter, how are you doing? And I say, oh, hey, Jake, how are you? And I, well, what are you doing here? And uh, Jake said, well, I'm doing a University Beyond Bars class, and we're having our last class session today. Come on, check it out. It's going to be quick, and you'll be glad you went. So I uh, walked in, and it was the last class, and I was shocked. And the reason I was shocked is I was hearing out of the students' mouths these expressions of hope and goals and thought about the future, feelings of pride when they talked to their family and friends about what they were doing. And I just sucked it all in like a dry sponge, right? And I walked out of the prison that day feeling like I had never felt walking out of a prison before. 
And I think that's what's been really cool about the education programs that have developed in certain states and are starting to develop in Wisconsin's prisons. It's allowing students inside to have a voice and to get that voice out, which is wonderful for them and their sense of empowerment, but it also triggers a kind of awareness in the community that is listening to it that wasn't there before that is forcing people to contemplate these places and the people that are in them. And giving people, creating a platform for them to tell those stories, it does, uh, it's a 360 gift. So the person telling the story has this empowerment of of speaking the truth in the way they need and want to do it. Um, Whoever is in that audience is learning something about that person, about another, like you said, another way to be. And it just puts out just positive energy into the universe. So Peter had this powerful moment in prison, and he wanted to get involved in this work. He saw firsthand how humanities-based classes inside prisons could help students reframe their ideas about what's possible for their futures. Then, Peter's wife got a job that moved the family to Madison. But Peter still had the dream of starting a prison college program. He figured he needed a partner organization, and everyone Peter talked to pointed him towards the Odyssey Project. This is Kevin Mullen. It started when Peter Moreno came into our offices. The students in the Odyssey Project have all faced significant economic barriers to college. For some, it was homelessness or single parenthood or drug and alcohol addiction. For others, incarceration or domestic abuse. And when Peter walked into the Odyssey office, Kevin was immediately on board with Peter's idea. He really was interested in starting a higher education program here at UW. And he had worked with the Innocence Project for years and had a ton of experience with a lot of the people who are incarcerated for different reasons. And and he said that one of the brightest spots that he would encounter in the prison were the classrooms, right, where there was this feeling of energy and excitement and learning. And uh, he wanted to see if he could build something like that here. And so I talked a little bit with Peter, and then we went out to lunch one day. And Peter told him... A lot of them have had crummy academic experiences growing up, been told they're stupid, been told they're not college material, never going to make it in anything. But they're interested anyway. And they have this intellectual curiosity that they want to satisfy. After that first lunch with Peter, Kevin knew that the collaboration with the Odyssey Project made sense. In fact, it made sense for the class he had been teaching, an entry-level English 100 course with a focus on storytelling. I I just, I had gotten it in my head that this was something I really wanted to be a part of. So I sat him down and I said, okay, here's why English 100 would be the best first class to do. It's intro to college writing. Every kind of incoming first year student takes it. So I explained all why this was the perfect first class to do. And then, and then I explained why I thought I'd be the perfect person to do it. And Peter agreed. What makes this work such a perfect fit for Odyssey, because that's All Odyssey does is empower people to find their voice, which enables all kinds of other personal revelations for them about what they're able to accomplish and what their role is in the world. But Peter soon realized he would be most helpful behind the scenes. I thought I was a good instructor until I watched these folks talk, and then I realized it's better for me to do administration and let these folks uh, come in and do the work because they are amazing. So now it was Kevin's turn to walk into a prison for the first time. 
the first day, first day was funny because, you know, as you're going into a prison, there's multiple entry points and you're kind of slowly getting in. And um, I got into the classroom and uh, was there with the education director of the prison. And um, just before we started, he handed me a what's called a, a screamer. And he says, oh, just in case anything happens, you can just pull this and the guards come running. A screamer is this thing that's the size of a yo-yo. And when you pull the string, it makes an extremely loud sound. And the students came in and he left. And it was the first maybe minute and a half or two minutes that I suddenly felt a bit nervous, right? How this was going to be a different set of circumstances um, than I was used to. But that lasted about a minute. And then as soon as people started introducing themselves and we started getting the class going, it just took off right away. They were all just hyper-enthusiastic and focused and wanting to do the work. One of the students was Mark Espanol, who we heard from back at the beginning of the episode. At the time, Mark had already earned three technical diplomas and 30 certificates while he was inside. He wasn't really looking for an English class or humanities experience. He was hoping to get an associate's degree. And Kevin's English class offered three credits. I was driven by the idea that The system did me so wrong that I'm going to take everything I can on purpose now. Like, you want me to be in prison for 10 years? You know, I mean, I I accept responsibility. I did something wrong. You know, I deserve to pay for it. But holy Christ, 16 years. They gave me 16 years. 10 in, 6 out for taking somebody to buy drugs from somebody else. Yeah. You're going to give me all this free education. And then I'm going to ace it. And I'm going to show you that I wasn't some kind of heinous criminal that deserved to be in prison for 10 years. So I, I sign up for the class, and um, it, it just it blew my mind, everything that was coming out of it. Kevin's curriculum is designed to open and challenge minds. For starters, he teaches a lineup of powerhouse writers. In the first week, we read... Um, James Baldwin's The Creative Process, uh, Joan Didion's Why I Write, and George Orwell's Why I Write. And they're all about why these three people create through the written word. Then Kevin turns that question back to his students. And then I have students write about why they write. You know, they write that first draft of Why I Write, and then as they're working on the second one, they workshop that first draft in a small group. And they start to realize that they benefit from having a reader talk about what they're seeing in the work. And it creates just this really strong community in the classroom because it makes you feel very vulnerable to share your writing in front of a group of people. Then they just keep writing. The first three essays are all kind of more self-reflective and introspective essays where they're writing about either, you know, things that are important to them or ideas that are important to them. Next up, the classic research paper. And then we shift from looking inward to kind of looking outward. And they write a research editorial on a social issue that's important to them. And they insert their own voice then into that conversation. You know, what Kevin did was he was able to reach inside of us for us to get not only creative with what we was doing, but to be able to express ourselves. So when everybody takes that leap and starts to share their work, it ends up becoming, you know, a strong community of learners. And outside in the larger prison community, uh, you know, the students aren't all coming from the same parts of that community, right? So there's an important process of breaking down some of the walls that might separate them and get them to form this new space and this new set of people and conversations. It made me feel human again. It made me feel human. That class, that environment that he created allowed us as inmates 
to not only be vulnerable, but to get to know each other personally. You know, inmates spend so much time putting on a front, you know, getting into character because they feel that this is what they need to do to get through a day that they never tell somebody like, man, I'm hurting. Or this is what I gone through as a kid. You know, when you learn that about a person, you, you even greet them differently. Like, man, how you doing, brother? Like, you know what I'm saying? How you feeling today instead of what's up, you know? It, it was the greatest experience. That one class topped everything that I ever did in, the, in while I was incarcerated. And towards the end of the semester, they get to the cornerstone of the course, telling their own story. It's a three-part storytelling workshop, and one of our producers, Jen Rubin, leads this unit of the course. She works with a team of storytellers, including, of course, Dasha. Week one is a 90-minute skill-building workshop on how to turn a memory into a story. Week two, several storytellers come in and work in small groups to give a lot of feedback to each student on their story draft. And the structure is really helpful, right? Because the, you know, you're taking the chaos of experience and you're pouring it into the order of a narrative, right? And that's a clarifying process in itself, right? Because you're trying to make sense of all these different things that happen in the world and then create something that has that arc, you know, and that will capture the listener's attention and then we'll get to a certain place and then we'll end up with a kind of reflection. Prior to this class, I didn't think nobody wanted to hear my story. Who wants to hear about some sad dude that was locked up and, you know what I'm saying? Who cares? Everybody goes through stuff. But I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I started believing that maybe my story can help one person. So often people in prison are told, this is your story. This is who you are. This is why you ended up in prison. So what's the value of learning how to craft a good story? It can give that person the tools they need to reimagine the stories they tell about their own life. And just because students are in prison doesn't mean they have to tell some kind of prison origin story. The instructors encourage them to tell stories about anything. Your first kiss, a heavy story from your childhood, whatever story you want to craft about yourself. Every time there are some stories that are funny, there are some that will make you tear up. There are some that are hard to hear, but but there is that range in every single classroom because people can go any way they want with it. You know, they've got the mic in five minutes. And that five minutes comes on the last day of class when the students gather in a room to tell the stories they've been working on. In front of the class, OBB staff, volunteers, and sometimes prison officials and administrators. There are so many students who have anxiety and, and, and they're getting up in front of somewhere in between, let's say, 20 and 40 people. Um, depending on the year, and telling their story. And just the fact that they were able to do it is a huge win because I know where they were 15 weeks before that, you know? The storytelling part is really intimidating, especially when I say that they're going to do this on day one. And that's an incredibly big ask. But by that point in the semester, they're ready to, they're ready to get up on the stage and tell their story. All right, uh, here goes nothing here. <laughs> thinking that he was running into the living room only to find the scene of another domestic dispute that sadly had already become normal to him at this age, he was shocked and stunned by the image he encountered. There, in the middle of the living room, where he used to enjoy laying on a couch, drinking his warm bottle of milk, stood his sister Kathy, holding her boyfriend Ricky, who had just been shot. Frozen with fear, Anthony stood there, staring at the quarter-sized hole in Ricky's arm. Each of us is made up of a million moments, a million stories. Some of them are big moments. That time you got in trouble, or the time you quit that job. 
But our stories are also cumulative. Our everyday stories add up to something bigger. And this writing assignment gave Mark permission to dig into his memories in a way he never had before. It wasn't until I started doing that that I started to uh, actually even getting over some of the things that still haunted me, you know, childhood memories. And, and that's why I did that story, you know, because as you can imagine, for, you know, almost a decade, I've sat in prison just wondering where I went wrong. You know, how did I get here? And um, it all went back to that apartment. Things that I witnessed, things I was exposed to as a child that I should have never been exposed to. That story was one day. It sucked that I had to go through that as a five-year-old. That story was one day. Just a single day. I think figuring out how to tell your own story, how to organize your memories and find meaning in them, can be useful in metabolizing trauma. And it also gives anyone in the room hearing the story access to humanity outside of their own. When I finally did it at the graduation, I was just hoping that the people who were sitting in the crowd that had any kind of power to change the things that were going on, especially in Oak Hill, that it would touch them. And they would understand, like, look, a lot of us, you know, you, you grew up in a household where everything is chaotic. It does something to you. This storytelling workshop impacts more than just the individual storytellers. It impacts everyone in that room. And it's helped the program grow. Department of Corrections and UW staff often attend final storytelling sessions like the one where Mark told his story and leave feeling the resolve to make more classes possible. Here's Peter. Uh, when I first started doing this work and prior to that, it was really difficult to imagine that we would be in the place where we are now, where there is some real enthusiasm about this issue statewide. Peter keeps pushing to grow Odyssey Beyond Bars. What started as one course once a year at one prison is now in three more. And there are now several other courses to go along with English 100. Peter sees this as a new model for how education can work for incarcerated people. My vision for Wisconsin prisons is for a person, when they enter the prison system, they sit down with an advisor and they talk about where they want to go and where they want to wind up. So they start making plans early about what they want to learn while they're still in prison and where they want to be when they get out. We're in a position here in Wisconsin where we are at the outset of doing something really big in prison education, which, by the way, if we're successful, we're going to change the way people are incarcerated in this state. We're going to change the focus of the criminal justice system in that regard, which is super exciting. So we're getting there. We're getting there. A study by the RAND Corporation found that people involved in prison education programs had a 43% lower chance of going back to prison after release and a 13% higher chance of getting a job after prison. But we don't need a study to understand that people who complete college coursework while incarcerated are more likely to become economically self-sufficient after re-entry and see themselves and their possibilities differently. Here's Mark. These classes, I believe that they change people in the sense of a person that feels educated knows better. And in knowing better, you do better. 
You know, there's nothing that's going to steer you off your positive path. So instead of you becoming desperate or or impatient about like, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get money? How, that educated side of you tells you everything's going to be all right because I'm strong and I am capable of achieving anything I want to achieve in these classes. Do that for you. I am capable of achieving anything I want to achieve. Anything, anything, <laughs> anything. One more time for the people in the back. Anything. Absolutely. Welcome back, Dasha. We've been uh, quite a ways in the story since we last were with you. Can you talk about the change that you've seen in a person's life coming out of one of these classes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Seeing this change, Adam, is why I've stayed in this work so long. I'll rephrase that. Seeing this change is why the work has kept me for so long, because there are many days I was going to put these degrees to use and do something else that was going to make me a bunch of money. But to have a 16-year-old come and say, you know what, I'm really used to getting people to go along with me to do, <laughs> to make problems. Mm. I've never had anybody listen to me as a leader. Mm. And now I know I can. I know I can have people listen to me, which for their own calculation means that what they have to say matters. And going to these carceral spaces in particular, it shifts the skill sets and the calculations, the human calculations that um, in many cases that have kept them alive, that have kept them in the survival mode for so long. So to have someone be able to process a story, and it's not a small thing to go from this memory that you had and convert that memory into a five minute representation that is engaging to someone who doesn't know you and wasn't at that memory is not a small thing. Mm -hmm. And then to have the courage to share that story, especially if it's something that's not flattering or something that was painful, takes a lot of energy and a lot of bravery. This thing that has terrified me for most of my life doesn't scare me anymore. So that's an intimate engagement. And you don't let go of that. You don't drop that. And if nothing else, you know you're capable of it. And and I think they realize that this has been in them the whole time. And now they've been given the invitation and the permission to access it, to look for it and to wield it for their own good benefit and for their own peace and for their own next steps in life. So that's been, I think, what people find themselves clinging to and being surprised by. And all of that through the process of writing a poem, through the process of sharing their story with other people. So that's been an incredible and all the things that you can imagine. They're they're walking with their head higher, with their back straight, and most importantly, seeing themselves as complete whole people. And it can feel like maybe even just to spell it out entirely, someone sitting in one of the Odyssey Beyond Bars classes might feel as if all the circumstances they find them in are saying the only experience that matters in your life was the biggest mistake you've ever made and nothing else. So these classes have a way of opening up the rest of a person's existence when that door feels as if it's been shut by the institution. Mm -hmm. I would say not even just the institution, but by society. Absolutely. I found this. It's one thing to write a good piece. It's another thing to deliver it in front of a group of people. Whenever mm -hmm. I'm able to compose something, it, it makes me nervous. But when I have to get in front of people and deliver something, it turns me into a puddle of goo. <laughs> it always makes me nervous. We just heard Mark both 
recite and deliver a piece he'd written. Talk about what the performance, the act of not just writing something and handing it to someone, but delivering it to them, how that changes a story or what added dimensions that brings to an experience, especially a class like this. It makes the story more, literally more accessible. Not just hearing the words and hearing the story, but I'm taking an inflection, I'm looking at body language. And again, it becomes a communal experience. I am listening to the story with other humans bringing this in. So a little bit of nerves on your part on the upfront is worth it for everybody. So I'll just say that out loud. I'm glad you worked yourself through it, Adam. Um, And for the person, what they realize is that the things that they're nervous about on the upfront are, again, is this going to be X, Y, Z enough? Am I going to make a mistake? Am I going to forget something? Are people going to get it? Because mind you, you've already put the work into the words, the writing part. And on the other side of the performance or the delivery or the speech, one, the relief that they did it and that it's out there and that applause, even if it's polite applause, that applause is punctuation that you did this thing. It has been received by said audience and you have added your own magic to this room. And there's a relief there. And then the best part is when they're, they get the feedback from someone pulling them to the side. Hey, that really moved me um, and informed me. Um, whatever the feedback is, at least one human had a reaction to this experience of yours that you have shared. That is powerful. That is powerful and it's amazing. And tell everyone that every time that you get up and share your story, There's someone in that room who needed to hear it. They either needed to hear it from you, they needed to see a person in your profile, or they needed to hear that particular story. Speaking of amazing stories, thank you to Mark, Peter, and Kevin for sharing the incredible story of Odyssey Beyond Bars with us today. Yes, thank you. Who are we going to be thanking next week? We're staying with a student of the Odyssey Beyond Bars program, Robert Taliaferro, who had this remarkable and unbelievable story as a newspaper editor, as a spy, as all these other things. And we're also going to be meeting one of the most amazing people working in Milwaukee and Wisconsin right now, Shannon Ross, uh, who also is an editor with a newsletter. Sounds like my kind of people. I'm going to leave us with a little clip of Robert talking about the other guys that were in the Odyssey Beyond Bars class with him and the respect he had for them as writers. Man, I'll tell you, the Odyssey Project, I've been honored because I got to meet some of the best writers. I would have hired any single one of them. These kids, when they set up there, when they started, they were tentative and all that. When we got done with that Odyssey program, I I told him, I said, I would hire any single one of you on my newspaper. You know, I've done a lot of writing. I've won a ton of awards. But the best experience that I had was working with the Odyssey program. And I'm so blessed. I was glad that I was in that project because it was the best experience I had in my life as a writer because I got to meet some amazing, amazing writers that people would never know exist unless you have a program like the Odyssey program.
Human Powered is a podcast from Wisconsin Humanities and Field Noise Soundworks. Our senior producer is Craig Ely. Craig also edits and mixes the show. Producers are Jade Isiri Ramos and Jen Rubin. Creative producer is Jessica Becker, and the executive producer is Dina Wurzel. Outro music is by the band Upheaval. They were a prison band at Wapan Correctional Institution in the 1970s. Check out our episode webpage on the Wisconsin Humanities website to learn more about the people featured in the episode, more about the Odyssey Project, and to hear the full story that Mark Espanol and Daniel Schleicher, another OBB student, told during class. WisconsinHumanities.org. We will be back in a few weeks with the rest of the season. Subscribe to Human Powered Now so you will see the new episodes when they drop. <laughs>